And so let's just spend some time as we jump into the Word of God today. And I believe God has a, uh, an anointed word for us and that He wants to speak to us this morning. So I have some thoughts for you as you are preparing, and I'd ask you to grab your Bible and your tablets and turn to the book of, of the Gospel of Matthew's chapter 8, verse 28 and 29. As I ask this question of just to meditate on, what's your perceptions or your perception of the Christian life? What's your perceptions or your perception of the Christian life? Have you ever tried to figure that out and just kind of think about what it means to be a Christian? And it seems at times to be something strange, especially before we come to Christ. And it even seems like something hard to understand. We hear all of these do's and don'ts. We hear all of these what ifs and what for's and a lot of things to think about. Of this walk, this relationship. And maybe you, like I, you've had a thought, I can't do what I think it means. That that's too hard, that's too much. I can't go without sinning, messing up, making mistakes. I don't think I can do what I think it means. It just seems too hard. See, and even if we think back before, if there are those of us that have been saved for a while, that our lives can seem so different now than what it was maybe 10, 15, 20 years ago. But I remember thinking, how can I ever be like, and maybe you got a name that you can put on that, how can I ever do all the 600 laws and rules that the Israelites decided to pin? See, our lives before walking with Christ can seem so different that we ask ourselves, how can I even imagine doing that? And so I just want to share some thoughts with you this morning and look at a passage of Scripture that you're going to go, Pastor Joe, that don't relate to what you just said. It seems strange. Because the first thing as we read in Matthew 8, chapter 8, verse 28 through 29, if you would read with me and look at that passage with me, and Jesus is now going to another country. He's going to the other side, and he's encountering as he's going on his other side. The scripture says, when he had come to the other side, to the country of the Gergesians, there met him two demon-possessed men. So wait a minute, Pastor, you, call, you, you calling us devils? No. Hold on. Coming out of the tombs exceedingly fierce, so that no one could pass that way. And suddenly they cried out, saying, What have we to do with you, Jesus, you Son of God? Have you come here to torment us 
before the time. And so the title of this message today is, What Have We to Do with You? What have we to do with you? And yes, we see that this is in this encounter that Jesus was having that the two men demon-possessed made this statement. What have we to do with you, Jesus, you son of God? Well, let me take a little moment to give you a little bit of context of what we're seeing here. I don't want to take this text out of context, but share the truth of God's word and share some some thoughts that the Lord laid on my heart and what it means as we kind of exegesis this passage and look through a couple of other portions of chapter 8 and give some personal takeaways from this truth of the scripture. Part of the context here is besides this passage in Matthew, this encounter is spoken of in the book of Mark, the fifth chapter, verse 1 through 20, and in the book of Luke, the eighth chapter, 26 to 39, and they give a little bit more details, they give a little bit more context, and they say it in a different way a little bit so that we can, it can give us a little bit of examination of some things that we're seeing here. So I want to just kind of look at those, not look at those passages by going to them, but share some of the things if you go to them in your quiet time, you'll see a couple of things that I'm going to mention to you, and I think it'll allow us to have a fuller understanding. One of the things that we don't see in the book of Matthew, but we see in the book of Mark and a little bit in the book of Luke, is that it speaks of one man, and they asked him, who we are, who are you? And they say, we are legion. In other words, there are thousands of demons in this one man. So hold on to that thought. The other thing that we know is that Jesus casts the demons out of these men, and they are so fearful of being cast out that they ask Jesus that they be sent into swines. And so this man is delivered. He's healed. And in the book of Mark, it says that he is in his right mind. He's clothed, and he wants to follow Jesus. Remember that. Hold on to that. A third point that we don't see in the book of Matthew that we see in the book of Mark and Luke, is that it gives a number to these swine that we'll see later on, that when Jesus casts the demons out into the swine, it doesn't say it in Matthew, but it was about 2,000 swine, that these legions were cast into these pigs. So let's take a moment and look a little closer. See, Jesus does something before this point that we see here in the book of Matthew. Because we know that there was a time that Jesus said that his uh, time had not come. It was about the first 30 years of his life that there was a season and there was a time that God would be fulfilling his purpose and his mission that he'd called them to. And so what we get before chapter 8, Jesus speaks about what he's going to be doing in his purpose in the book of Luke the fourth chapter, verse 18. Would you turn with me there so I can just share that with you? And maybe some of you uh, know that right off the uh, top of your your mind. It's a a very well-known passage. And so Jesus is sitting in the synagogues because we know one of the things that he came is to preach the gospel. And so he's sitting in the synagogue, and the 
uh, the minister gives way and he steps up and he reads from the scroll in the book of Isaiah, chapter 61, verse 1. And so Luke 4.18 gives account of this. And here is what it says. The Spirit of the Lord is upon me because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel to the poor. He hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, and recovery of sight to the blind, to set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. Somebody should have said amen about that. And he closed the book, and he gave it again to the minister and sat down, and all the eyes were on him. And Jesus responded by saying, this day, this scripture is fulfilled in your ears. See, the very purpose of why he came. And so go back with me to the book of Matthews, and as you're pinning your finger there in the eighth chapter, I just want to share how Jesus walked that out. See, the very first thing that we see is in the book of Matthew, the third chapter, that Jesus had allowed John the Baptist to baptize him. And see, when we see he read in Isaiah, the Spirit of the Lord was upon me, we know that in that passage in, in, in Matthew, it says the Spirit descended like a dove and set upon him. See, that anointing in the Spirit of God was upon him that gave him everything that he needed to fulfill the purpose and the plan that God has for him. And so we see that in chapter 3. In chapter 4, he was tempted of the devil three times. And so in chapter 4, he allowed himself, just like you and I, to be tempted, that in all ways he acquainted with our sorrows. He knows our infirmities. The devil took him up, and he was in hunger and despair. But he spoke the word of God. He spoke back every time the devil tried to tempt him. And so we see that in chapter 4. He rebuked the devil with the word of God. And then in chapter 5, Jesus began to teach. We see in chapter 5 the Beatitudes. He taught the word of God. See, that was one of his purposes. And Isaiah said that he came to preach the gospel, to bring the good news. He, he talked about several things. He taught them about anger. He taught them about temptation. He taught them about making an oath and forgiveness. He taught them on giving. All through chapter 5 and chapter 6, we see him fulfilling his purpose. And then we come to chapter 7 and we see the, the very same thing. He's teaching and asking them to receive. And then in chapter 8, Jesus begins to heal. He heals the leper. See, one of the things that he said in Isaiah is, I've come to heal the brokenhearted. He heals the child, the centurion, that had faith enough to say, Jesus, speak the very word. He heals Peter's mother-in-law. And then he speaks of the cost of being a disciple. And then we get to him crossing into the country. 
And when he had come to the other side, into the country of the Jergesians, there met him two possessed with devils coming out of the tombs, exceedingly fierce, so that no man might pass by that way. In other words, the people were fearful of them. They wouldn't go by the way of these demon-possessed men. And behold, they cried out, saying, What have we to do with thee, Jesus, the Son of God? See, let me just talk a little bit about what's happening here because these demons knew exactly who Jesus was. And no doubt in their mind that they know that he was the Son of God. They saw him immediately, and they said those words, what have we to do with thee? Because they were as different from Jesus as night and day. See, where Jesus came to set the captives free, they came to bind. Where Jesus came to heal, they came to destroy. Where Jesus came to teach, they came to deceive. And so we see this played out in a couple of passages of this separation between Jesus and these demons, this separation between righteousness and darkness. Would you turn with me to Isaiah chapter 14, verse 12 through 14. Isaiah chapter 12, um, excuse me, chapter 14. And so this is an account of Satan himself, Lucifer, who thought he was, wanted to be greater than God, and he rebelled against God. And so we see in this passage, it says this, How art thou fallen from heaven, O Lucifer, son of the morning, how art thou cut down to the ground, which dost weaken the nations? For thou hast said in thine heart, I will ascend unto heaven. I will exalt my throne above the stars of God. I will sit also upon the mount of the congregation in the sides of the north. I will ascend above the heights of the clouds. I will be like the most So he tried to usurp God. He tried to rebel against God. And he fell to the earth. He was no longer angelic. He was no longer in heaven. And so we see something transpiring. God who is in heaven, who is holy and righteous, and he's the devil and his demons are now cast down and they see Jesus the son of God where they are in other words they're saying what you doing here you cast us out turn with me also 
to the book of Matthew, the 25th chapter, and we see a little bit more. The 25th chapter, the 41st verse, and just hold your pen there while I share a little bit more of that. Part of what we see is Jesus is speaking and he's reminding that there will be a separation of the sheep and the goat. He says, when the Son of Man shall come in his glory and all the holy angels with him, then shall he sit upon the throne of his glory, in verse 31. And before him shall be gathered all nations, and he shall separate them one from another, as a shepherd divided his sheep from the goats. And he shall set the sheep on his right hand, but the goats on his left. Now go to 41 for me. Then shall he say also unto them on the left hand, Depart from me, ye cursed, into everlasting fire, prepared for the devil and his angels. See, that everlasting fire is an everlasting torment that was prepared for the devil and his angels. See, these two demons, they knew their eternal place. They knew their destination. They knew that they were going to spend eternity in torment. And so Jesus is walking down the road, and they say, they, uh, I believe this image kind of reflected in their mind. What are you doing here? Have you come to torment us now? See, they say those words, what have we to do with you, Jesus you son of God, have you come here to torment us before the time? See, there's a tormenting of being separated from God and being in the presence of God when you're outside of his will. When you're in darkness. And so these demons are reflecting on this very See, I don't know about you, but I remember this. Maybe you had that moment before you came to Christ that there was, it felt like torment. That wasn't something right. There was something not just, not the way it should be. That there was a separation, there was a void, there was something missing on the inside of you and I. And so these demons say this word, what have we to do with you? We know where we're going to spend eternity. It's not going to be in heaven. We've come to remind us of that, to torment us of that now. so turn back with me to Matthew 8 because we need to see a little bit more of the story. See, it continues on 
with verse 30. And there was a good way off from them a herd of many swine feeding. So the devil besought him, saying, If thou cast us out, suffer us to go away into the herd of swine. And he said, Go unto them, go. And when they were come out, they went into the herd of swine. And behold, the whole herd of swine ran violently down the steep place into the sea and perished into the water. See, that was a casting out of heaven. They're seeing Jesus and and his righteousness and his holy. They know that he is the son of God. They said, are you come to cast us out? If you're going to cast us, cast us into the swine. Give us a dwelling place. Give us somewhere. And then the swine ran into the sea and perished. See, think about that a little bit. This is swine. So much so that they knew something was not right. Pigs. They knew something wasn't right. So much so that they ran into the sea. See, the Bible says, the thief cometh not but to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to destroy us. But Jesus says, I come that you might have life and life more abundantly. So that's what he wants for us. So let me talk about three points here that we're gonna, we can glean from this story. Because verse 33 and 34 says this, and they that kept them fled. So this is the swine keepers. These are the herdsmen. They fled and went their ways into the city and told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Come on, somebody. I hope y'all didn't miss that. These guys, these people, have the long-awaited Messiah who who comes to set the captives free. And even though the demons said, what have we to do with you? If we're not careful, if we're not watchful, we can see it in our actions. And so let me share some of the things that we can glean from this portion in verse 33 and 34. The first one is seeing themselves. See those 
herdsmen and those men. The Bible says, and they that kept them fled. That means that they ran away in a hurry and went their way into the city. See, they each probably took a different way. They probably ran, and they just was just all out and told everything. See, Jesus was right there. They got to see Jesus set two captives free. They got to see Jesus heal. But they were so not accustomed to him coming. They were so conditioned in, in, in another way that they fled. They ran from the very presence of Jesus. They fled into. See, Jesus spoke about this with his own disciples. In Matthew 8, 26, he said this. Why are ye fearful? O ye of little faith. They were going through a storm. Winds on the sea. And they had Jesus right with them. And they were so afraid. And he calmed the sea. And these same men, seeing themselves, seeing what was going on, and they fled. But see, there's something else that happened also. The next point, seeing the situation, this perspective of how they saw what was happening. Look what the passage says. And told everything and what was befallen to the possessed of the devils. See, that word befallen is a past participle for something that has already happened. And that to befall means something bad happened to someone or something. So they didn't go back saying that, look at how Jesus healed these two men that was possessed of the devil. They went back saying, look what's bad happened. Maybe it was their, they had lost all of their swine. It's so important that we don't get so conditioned to this world that we see the miracles of God and we call it bad. We call good evil and evil good. They went and said befallen to the possessed of the devil. Jesus had set them free. It's so important that we have the right perspective. Seeing themselves, they fled. Seeing the situation, they called it bad. Then seeing Jesus. And behold, the whole city came out to meet Jesus. And when they saw him, they besought him that he would depart out of their coast. Jesus so desires that we would know him, that we would see him, 
And if Jesus showed up right now, what would be our response? Maybe these folks thought about all they were going to lose, everything that was going on. And they said, get out, Jesus. It's too much for us. Maybe they were going to have some trials that was going to come their way because of Jesus being in their region. Maybe folks were going to protest because God saw it, saw it fit for the Supreme Court to change and make a decision for his glory. What's going to be our response? Are we going to say that's too much? I don't want to get involved. Let somebody else deal with that. The one that came to set the captives free, to heal the brokenhearted, to give sight to the blind, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord, they said, depart out. I would hope we would never do that. But if we're not ready for Jesus to come in our lives, we might just be like these folks. Scary to think about it. Do we see our relationship with Christ as torment? I tell you, that was a, that was a time in my life that I, I thought that. I was like, man, this is, this is going to be something serious. They're going to come after me. They're going to call me names. They're going to put something on Facebook. <laughs> because we proclaim the name of Jesus. See, it's not torment. He makes beauty out of ashes. He gives joy in the morning. He wipes away all of our tears. Joy, unspeakable joy. Do we truly understand what Jesus offers? See, he offers life and life more abundantly. He offers the chains to be broken off of our lives. He offers peace and joy that we can't even explain. He offers hope for today and tomorrow. He offers our name written in the Lamb's book of life he is the bright and morning star you know you can look at Jesus and just it's never blinding it radiates our continents 
and gives us strength. He says, come unto me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I'll give you rest for your soul. He says, I'm the good shepherd. My sheep hear my voice, and they follow. He's not a bad shepherd. He offers goodness. It should sadden our heart that we would ever fathom saying to Jesus, what have we to do with you? See, our response to that should be everything. You are all in all. You are Alpha and Omega. You are the beginning and the end. You've been better to me than I could ever have been to myself. You are my Lord and Savior. You are the cornerstone. You are the rock of ages. But Ephesians 2, 13 reminds us of this very point. Ephesians 2, 13. Before we get to that one, verse 12 says that at the time we were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel and strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now, in Christ Jesus, you who sometimes were far off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. We can now have an up-close and personal relationship with Jesus Christ, with God the Father, because of Jesus sacrifice and then God even goes even farther in Philippians 2 13 for it is God which worketh in you both to will and to do of his good pleasure See, God gives us the want to God gives us the ability to do it I remember just thinking, how am I going to do it? You know, God's response was to me was, you're not. I am. I'm going to give you the want to, the desire. I'm going to transform your heart, your mind, your will and emotions. And then I'm going to give you the ability to do it. Because I'm going to do it in and through you. So it seems so daunting when we're first thinking about coming to Christ and living the life that's pleasing in his sight. But then he said Christ paid it all. What have we to do with you? Everything. Because while we were yet sinners, you died for us. You laid on that cross. You allowed your hands to be nailed and then to whip your back and put a thorn on your head so that we would be able to see you, that we would be able to come to you, and that God 
infused his spirit on the inside of us so that we would have a new will and a new do because God is doing the work in us. And so saints of God, what do you have to do with Jesus? I hope your response is everything. He's all in all. He's able when we are unable. He's been better to us than we could ever have been to ourselves. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I know there's a whole lot of things that can say don't. But God just wants you to step out. Don't try to figure it all out. Don't try to do it for yourself. Just trust him. Believe. Have faith to just step out and say, I trust you, Lord. I give it to you. And he'll meet you at the very point of your need. His desire is that none would perish, but that all would come to the saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that would move from death into life, eternal life. We ain't talking about this physical. We all know this is going to fall. But eternal life. So we don't be like those demons. There is an everlasting fire and torment waiting for them. It was never the place created for you and I. But if we say like them, what do I have to do with you? We go with them. God wants to spare each and every one of us. He wants to save. He wants to set the captives free. Let him set you free.